Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm your host, Cade Webb. And as always, I'm joined by Dustin Ragusa. And in the last three weeks, the Oklahoma State defense has given up nine total points. And I think that's less than the total amount of beers I had in Stillwater on Saturday. <laughs> Dustin, how are you, man? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm, I'm fired up to be here. I can't believe we're getting down to the wire on this season in this fashion. You know, college football playoff rankings come out tonight and uh, o- Oklahoma State at number nine, which is outrageous, but it's this late in the season and it's just all the chips are on the table. And, you know, obviously we'll get to all of that tonight, but, you know, coming off a huge win against TCU, one that you and I weren't necessarily that confident about, if I remember correctly, like we, we knew Oklahoma State was going to win, thought they would win even comfortably, but, you know, a final score is 63-17, a yardage differential of 683 to 273. I never would have seen that coming. Never. Dustin, what about you? Yeah, I had, I think I had Oklahoma State 38, TCU 20. I didn't think Oklahoma State was going to be able to score this much, but I just, I didn't think there was any way that TCU was going to replicate what they did the week before with Chandler Morris. Just such a young, inexperienced guy. Obviously, you can see there's some talent there, but Jim Knowles, that's just like candy to him, a young quarterback <laughs> that hasn't seen these kind of disguises or anything like that. So I was a little shocked at the final score, but not really how it played out for the Oklahoma State defense, just kind of dominating the TCU offense. Well, they controlled the line of scrimmage. I mean, 400 and what, 75 rushing yards, which is just laughable. Such <laughs> a huge amount. Uh, and, you know, eight touchdowns on the ground. Um, and that's without your starting left guard and center uh, for a big chunk of that game. Uh, and, and I agree with you. I, I thought the defense would, would come out firing. I think I said 30 to 17 in my final score prediction, but I, I didn't expect anything like that. You know, the starting defense gives up three points again. And now we're getting to the point where we've got a sample size to go off of no KU is not a world beater. So you hold them to three. You can kind of throw that one out the window, although they did just drop 58 on Texas. So there's that to go off of. Then you've got West Virginia, an utter dismantling there. And then you come up to this week uh, against a hot TCU team that is probably feeling pretty good about themselves, a young quarterback who's probably feeling pretty good about himself. And then again, you just take the lug nuts off the wheels and the whole car goes and st- it stops. And that's what Oklahoma State did. Again, they completely dismantled another offense. And, you know, again, we we typically start this podcast on the offensive side, which we will, but it's just hard to not think about this game, think about this team, and, and immediately think defense. Yeah, it's really not. The, the defense just another amazing performance. I know you said it, nine points given up by the first team defense in the last three games. That's absolutely Outrageous. absurd. Outrageous. Absolutely absurd. But, yeah, I think you kind of hit perfect segue right there. Do you yeah. want to kind of start on the offense? I, th- I think so. I- I'd love to hear kind of what you saw this week, and then we can kind of jump right into it. Gundy talked about it in his presser. I think this was the first game where the offensive line just completely dominated the opposing defensive line from start to finish, not just pushing them off the ball, but moving off the double team, getting to the second level, pancaking, running people down the field. Like you said, they're missing Josh Sills at left guard. They lost Danny Godlewski at center halfway through the game. He played the first half. 
you've got Tyrese Williams in there. He had some lapses in pass pro. Gundy mentioned it. He threw some no hitters, which I thought was a pretty uh, funny way to say that. I actually had a couple of those noted. But in the run game, Tyrese did awesome. Uh, Joe, Joe Mahalski came in at center, backing up Danny Godlewski. He was mauling people in yeah, the first he drive in the fantastic. third quarter. Also had some lapses in pass pro, but these guys are just absolutely dominating. And I think where we have to start, though, Cade, talking about on offense, is our guy. Number 28, Blaine Green. <laughs> Talking about him, they, they kind of they started kind of throwing him in at the cowboy back spot, which he's not really in the cowboy back spot. It's that H back spot that I talked about. It's off, off the line of scrimmage next to the tackle, kind of a old school wing back position. But Oklahoma State normally puts their cowboy back there. So we've seen it a few times this year. Well, Braden Cassidy's out. They decide to go with Blaine Green as basically the second cowboy back they still split him out at wide receiver he was still in the slot and I think he even went outside but they had him at the h-back spot I think I had it at over 20 times they also had him line up as an inline tight end and he still ran 21 routes on the game TCU had no film on that what are they supposed to do you saw the huge touchdown pass to him they literally had zero film on Blaine Green lining up at the h-back blocking he came across on the split zone, which we talked about where the line flows one way. He'll come back the other way and trap block that opposite edge defender. And he's going out for passes. That was a wrinkle that done through in this game that TCU's defense had no idea what to do with. Well, and we kind of threw that out there a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? The idea yeah. of putting Blaine Green or Bryson Green, one of those guys, because they're just both really big for their position. And they've got some, they've got some meat on them. They're not... They're not a, a lanky 6'2". I mean, they're they're both 6'2", 220. And yeah. Blaine at the Cowboy back, man, and, re and really, like you, you said it, it's that H-back spot, was a stroke of brilliance from Casey Dunn. I was, I was shocked to see it. It was like we had talked about the idea of that. It's like, you know, you're, try, you're almost replicating, in a way, what Oklahoma's done uh, with, with Jeremiah Hall going back to Dimitri Flowers. Like, you're kind of replicating that in a way. But now you've got somebody with, I mean, can create some real big mismatches some, and, and make opposing defensive coordinators lose some sleep because of what he can do. And if he's running 21 different routes, um, it's no shock that he – bust two wide open uh and really two of his three catches were absolutely wide open and so at that point it's like tcu has no film on it frankly i mean if he ran 21 routes all right but neither does tech and i guarantee you they're holding something for oklahoma i can't wait to see what they do with him and i'm glad that they did it this week because it gives you some time to kind of mold that into the game plan and I expect that going forward. And, and frankly, I'd be surprised if we didn't see that through his career. Not, not necessarily that's where he's at, but how many times have we seen Oklahoma State rotate a wide receiver from the slot to the outside and back into the H-back spot? They, they really never do that unless they've got, you know, I, I think they did it with uh, Thailand one time, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but if they've got that guy, they don't typically rotate him in and out and, and you know, those green twins just pose some real uh, matchup problems for opposing defenses. And I can't wait to see what else they have in store. Yeah, it, it was a real, it was a great wrinkle from Casey Dunn there. And we talked about Oklahoma state, the way they set their offense up is their zone running game, specifically their outside of zone running game. 
So you're not going to see, it's not so much creativity in what they're doing, actually blocking scheme wise, running the ball. They use a lot of similar passing concepts. So it's not really a lot of stuff there, but these small wrinkles, when you have guys that are versatile, like Blaine green, you saw it with the rollout to the right. Sanders throws the screen pass back to the left to Blaine green. That was that play caught TCU completely off guard. Another yeah. amazing play. Half the line's going to the right with the rollout. Then a couple linemen break off and go block for green out to the left. That was just amazing. So, but like I, like I just mentioned, the zone running game, Oklahoma State pretty much only ran zone. They had some scrambles from Spencer Sander and a draw and some draws mixed in, some QB draws. But other than that, it was primarily zone. They cr- the what they were doing to TCU <laughs> up front was just disgusting. Is that, is that that Oklahoma state excels in the zone running game? Yes. Or is it, is it even, is it even the fact that TCU just never adjusted? And so they're just, every time they're going to the run, they're going to the zone. Well, what TCU likes to do, we kind of, we talked about it last week. They like to slant their defensive linemen. So basically they're going to slant the way that the offensive line goes hard. So when Oklahoma state runs that split zone, the offensive line's blocking outside zone, so they're reach blocking towards the sideline, trying to get some per, some width to the perimeter, or even in their wide zone, they're still stepping to the perimeter, and they're going to go vertical. The linebackers for TCU and the entire defensive line is flowing with the offensive line. Then the H-back, whether it was Green or Logan Carter, comes across to trap that edge defender. Everyone's flowing. Je- Jalen Warren is so good at the cutback. He runs with the line, then just cuts it back right in between that trap block and where the offensive line ceiling. It's him one-on-one with one of TCU's linebackers, and he won that 90% of the time. It was mainly D winners, who was just number 13 for TCU. Not having a good night. Jalen just breaks (laughs) it right past him. And even when they're not going split zone, they did a lot. They did actually several times where they have Logan Carter and Blaine Green on the same side, and they ran outside zone to that side. So kind of a heavy 12 personnel look to the same side where you got all the blockers going that way. But TCU's D-line and linebackers are just overcommitting that way, and Warren's just hitting that cutback again and again. I think I had it down kind of similar to what I had last time. So between the center and the right tackle, this is from PFF, there was 11 attempts for 75 five yards for Warren, 6.8 yards per carry. That's not where he's aiming on outside zone. He's aiming more at like the tight end off tackle. So he's cutting all those back up the middle and it just continually worked over and over. And by the end of the game or not the end of the game, but by when the starters came out of the game, TCU's defense was just defeated. That was the first time I'd really seen our offensive line kind of beat another team down, wear them down. Gundy even mentioned his presser. They kind of just beat them to a pulp. I mean, they really did. And it was apparent, you know, even if you're not, you're not sure what the offensive line is doing. It's very apparent that for the fourth game in a row, they're just mauling dudes in the run game. And it's that zone game that works so well for them. Um, and, and I can't wait to see how it matches up against a Texas tech who really struggles to defend the run. And then I look two weeks down the road and then I see an Oklahoma who got absolutely torched by a very similar running style that Oklahoma state runs. Um, but we will, we'll talk about that next week. Uh, hopefully after an Oklahoma state win this weekend, but I mean, Dustin, anything on the H back that you've got kind of uh, lingering around in your head a little bit. 
No, I, I think just the way Oklahoma State was able to run the ball, I had this stat, Kate. So average third down distance to go this game for Oklahoma State. So average, average yards to gain on third, 3.7. That was their lowest. That was their lowest in Big 12 play. West Virginia over 10. KU 4.1, 8.4 for at Iowa State. Texas was 7.5, Baylor 5.5, 3.7. They just dominated on first and second down. And on third and four or less, they were nine for 12. Only five <laughs> rushes on the day stopped for no gain or a loss out of 63 attempts. Also a low in Big 12 play. That's 8%. Well, no, that's, I, I've got Kate. I can go all day. Seven for seven in red zone attempts. That is absolutely outrageous. I mean, I was looking at you know just the Oklahoma State running back stats. I mean, they're they're a little bit jarring. Dominic Richardson, twelve carries, one hundred thirty four yards for two touchdowns. He didn't he ran start like a madman. He didn't even start the game. Dustin uh, <laughs> Jalen Warren, seventeen carries, one hundred thirteen yards for three touchdowns. Jaden Nixon. Three. Three for 70, a touchdown. Des Jackson, 15 carries, 68 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Spencer Sanders, 10 carries for 53 yards. I mean, it's just an absolute uh, – I mean, it was unbelievable. There's there's really yeah. no words to describe it, frankly. It, it was absolutely amazing. And I hate to go hyperbole on some of the backups, but Jaden Nixon is the fastest person in the world. So Man, that would touchdown run was something strongest, else, right? Maybe. Yeah. yeah, that was something else. So – um, I think, do you want to talk a little Sanders now? I absolutely do because for, you know, what, what is this week five now we're on, we're on episode seven of the podcast and it took us all two episodes to talk about Spencer Sanders turning the corner. So really our entire podcast, you and I talking has been about how Spencer is turning the corner and all he did this week was throw out a 17 for 25, 235 and a touchdown and not make one mistake along the way. Seriously, we go through it every week. I try to get his incompletions and do a little analysis on each one. Can I take you through the eight real quick? I think you should. <laughs> We've got the Brennan Presley drop. Also, that was one of the plays where Tyrese Williams threw a no-hitter. So almost <laughs> got <laughs> Sanders almost got destroyed. Throw away on a blitz. Throw his high throw on the slant to Bray. PFF actually has that as a drop. I'm not going to count that as a drop against Bray, but the reason Sanders had to throw that high is an unblocked defender came off the edge and literally jumped like as Sanders was getting the snap, he maybe could have pump fake a step to the side, but then the slant's not open anymore. So he had to let that go high. Can't hold that. The throw away on the fake bubble screen and go uh, that was defended really well. That's just great defense by TCU there. He had a nice ball to Tay over the middle. Uh, Will, Preston Wilson also got beat on that. So he had made a nice move to step up in the pocket and evade the rush. The deep ball to Tay maybe could have led him a little bit more, but he might've been looking back shoulder there. That was another nice play by the TCU defender. You've got the throwaway on that uh, H back screen, which are the halfback screen, which that was just covered really well. And I think his only maybe bad pass on the day is that deep ball to Bryson green, but it still was, it was in the vicinity. He just maybe let him a little too much and the defender was right there. But like you said, I, I don't know if any of those were bad throws or bad reads. Well, I, I remember, uh, and, and it was the second incompletion you noted, where Sanders really off the snap, unblocked edge rusher, and steps up and just chucks it out of bounds. It was, it, it was such a simple play, but everyone around me, everyone in the stadium is like, yes, Good, Spencer. That was good. He's been doing that for five weeks. He's been making the smart play. And 
it really, to me, I mean, it's, it's very clear that Oklahoma state is boiling the offense down to where Spencer Sanders can be himself, but also do what makes him him. And so he can take off and run. There's enough running lanes for him to step up and create when his first and second read isn't there, but he's finally going through his progressions. You know, he's reaching his third and fourth read for the first time in his entire career. So the offense just looks completely different and it looks more simplified, but he's just running it so well right now that you, you just have a lot of confidence in his decision-making at the current moment. I completely agree. And along with the decision-making, you and I have talked about this. Gundy's mentioned it. When he gets pressured early, sometimes he kind of gets crazy with his footwork, gets a little rattled, and that can that leads to the turnovers and things like that. Well, he was getting some pressure this game early. Yeah, he and was. He didn't let it rat. He did not let it rattle. And so I think it's like what you said. I think it's just overall mentality change for Sanders. Even though I'm not saying like like you said, I'm not saying he turned the corner right now because you and I are Sanders truthers and we have been. <laughs> I think since day I'm going to say since day one. That's not true, but I'm going to say since day one. I mean, I'm really glad that we had this podcast so that people know that about you and I. I mean, we've been talking about Spencer since since that night at chalk, uh, uh, when they opened up against Oregon state, I mean, you and I are day ones on Spencer. And another, another knock on him at times has been his ability to throw it over the middle of the field and not turn the ball over. Well, he was six for nine over the middle for over a hundred yards in this game. Nice. Past the line of scrimmage. So yeah, definitely nice. So I, I just thought it was amazing. I thought the offensive line actually protected pretty well. I know I'm talking about Wilson missing a block, uh, Tyrese Williams, I think got the lowest pass grade out of the starters on PFF and Mahalski missing a few, but overall I thought they protected pretty well. And I'm really not, uh, is that a big concern for you going into Texas tech? Not to, not to talk about Texas tech yet, but what about these offensive line? Injuries? Yeah, no, so, I know. I, I think it's a great segue. I, I, I don't, just the way they ran the ball against TCU, who's got probably a better defensive front, at least equal to Texas tech. Um, that gives me a lot of confidence. I think Oklahoma State's going to get a juiced up Texas Tech this weekend. I think it's going to be a tight game, uh, a little bit similar to what I thought was going to happen this weekend. Um, but I, I don't get a lot of um, anxiety about it, mainly because do we have any idea to the extent of Josh Sills' injury? We think so, he might be back. So Sills has plantar fasciitis, oh. and he's been practicing – which that I'm not speaking from experience. If I stub my toe, I'm out for a few weeks, but that's a nagging injury. That's it's more of a pain injury, right? Like you, it's something you probably could play through knowing Sills. I bet he tries to play this week. We'll see. I think Godlevsky's is a little bit more serious from what I've heard. I wouldn't expect him to play this week. And I think he's iffy for Bedlam, but I know he's going to do everything he can to get back. But you know, Tyrese Williams has also taken snaps at center. Yeah, so you've no got, doubt. You've got Mahalski and you've got Williams backing up Godlevsky. Godlevsky's been so good this year, so it's a big loss no matter what. But I'm a little bit more confident if they can get Sills back, that they can kind of shore up the center spot. You just got to make sure, you know, you saw a couple of those snaps go a little high from Mahalski. You just got to make sure those are shored up. But I'm not – I'm not super concerned, but I'd love to have sales back and I'd love well, to have him close to hundred percent. And that's why I asked because you can kind of hide the center in a way, Josh Sills and um, Holy hell. I'm blanking on them. Hunter Woodard on that left guard, mm-hmm. right guard. 
they're good enough in the run blocking that you could kind of hide the center in a way. Um, yeah. Like you're going to need that center, but Mahalski showed that he, he knows what he's doing. He's at least strong enough to be out there. And you're not like, it's not like years past where you're throwing a walk on, you know, red shirt freshman out there at center or right tackle. And the entire offensive line just completely folds. I don't think that's what's happening right now. And so what we saw on Saturday, you know, we got two and a half quarters of no Josh Sills, no Danny Godlevsky. I was pretty fine with what I saw. So that doesn't concern me all that much. Yeah, I completely agree. And Cade, before we go to the defense, I've got to give my guy props. I've kind of not trashed him, but I I haven't talked great about him at times on this podcast since he's been back from his back injury, which I know was a serious injury. Logan Carter had his best game of the season. Welcome back. He blocked really well, had his highest PFF grade. Gundy said, Gundy actually said in his presser that it was his first really productive game since he's been back from injury. And he he says he's still only at about 80%. So it was impressive. I'm glad to see him back. Braden Casty had been blocking so well that it was kind of a, it was kind of a drop-off you noticed when Carter got out there. And I don't think it was this last game. And I think Casty's going to be back this weekend. I hope he is because I think they'll run a lot of 12 personnel like they did last season against Tech. But I think I think Carter played really well. And I'm gonna I'm gonna have to shout him out because I haven't always said super nice things about him on here. Yeah, I saw I saw Cassidy rolling around on on Saturday on a scooter with a cast on his foot. So hopefully that's not too significant. But you know, my my first thought about that is what is Blaine Green and Logan Carter in the backfield do for you to kind of offset what you don't have in the run blocking uh, with Braden Cassidy. You know, you, you're probably not going to be able to run as much North and South stuff, but I mean, you can still run your zone running stuff and you can keep the linebackers at bay with, with Blaine Green out there and Logan Carter's a, a pass catching threat, probably the best receiving threat on the, in the Cowboy back position, I, I would think, um, so it does give a little bit different dynamic to the offense if that offensive line, you know, plus Logan Carter can just block enough to let Jalen Warren do what he does. Completely agree. Completely agree. Well, I think uh, I think yeah, the only other notes I had, Kate, before we go to the defense, I love that they brought in some motion. That's what they did two years ago against TCU. TCU's linebackers get so confused by motion, uh, or this team anyway. It worked really well. Uh, Woodard was really strong in the run blocking game. Love how hard Dom ran. People forget Des Jackson is good. Des <laughs> Jackson do, reminded a few people. People do forget that. He ran hard. Yeah. And then the last thing is on some of their zone runs, what they were doing is they were releasing the tackle, which was normally Preston Wilson on the right side, sending him straight. It's, it was kind of how TCU was lining up their defensive line, but sending him straight to the linebacker and letting the split zone cowboy back come across and take that edge defender it created an even bigger cutback lane because they're basically sealing those two the rest of the line is running outside zone the other way and sealing everybody else off and again talking about just leaving Jalen Warren one-on-one with a linebacker and he's going to win that 90 percent of the time yeah that was something else I forgot to mention earlier that I really liked but I think that's all I had it's just good to see the that running back room finally full strength for so long it was Jalen Warren and Dom Richardson and that was kind of it um, and even Dominic Richardson, I think, was banged up early on in the year. So it was really Jalen Warren, and that was kind of it. Can I interest you in a diamond formation with Jalen Warren, Dominic Richardson, and Des Jackson? 
<laughs> oh man, <laughs> I would love that. Okay, I would love that. Just bookmark. Maybe put that. Blaine. Maybe put Blaine Green at tackle. Oh man, I just just Fake bookmark that one, that. folks. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying. I'm not saying, but I'm just saying. Uh, well, Dustin, I, I mean, I think again, you know, the offense. With, with And I think I said 480 yards rushing. I totally got that wrong. 435 yards rushing uh, this week j- are still a ridiculous number. But I, I still think the storyline is the defense again. Don't you? Yes, I agree. You, you can't hold teams to these low point totals, like you said, talking about the first team defense with the nine points and not focus on this defense. They've just yeah. been too good. Way too good. And uh, Dustin, before we dive straight on into the defense, we got a brand new sponsor here on the Feels Like 45 podcast that we're going to take a listen from. All right. Big day for the Feels Like 45 podcast in the 1012 network as we welcome a brand new sponsor, Homefield Apparel into the family of sponsors for this podcast in the 1012 Network. I mean, if you're not familiar with Homefield Apparel by now, uh, you should be. You can follow them on Twitter, uh, but you, you got to check out the website. They've got vintage college sports apparel with over 100 teams. You can get T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies. And again, that's over 100 college teams with new ones added all the time. More importantly for you guys, listeners of this podcast, if I know my demo, you're Oklahoma State fans, and they've got a great selection of Oklahoma State stuff on the website right now. And we, on this podcast, have a promo code, FEELS12, that'll get you 15% off your first order with Homefield Apparel. It's correct. I'm not lying to you. 15% off your first order, FEELS12. Use that promo code and know that all orders over $100 get free shipping. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. The website's got some unbelievable stuff. I've got my eyes on this Pistol Pete sweater, uh, a little bit of crew neck. I'm, I'm thinking gray for the fall. may look pretty dope. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. So anyway, do not forget to use that promo code FEELS12. I mean, 50% off a t-shirt, sweater, hoodie of that quality. You can't go wrong. I mean, I kind of looking at this Hawaii Rainbow Warriors, Tulane Green Wave. They got some good stuff there. Don't miss out. Don't hesitate. Go to homefieldapparel.com. Use the promo code FEELS12 to get yourself 15% off your first order. And all orders over $100 get free shipping. All right. Homefield Apparel, welcome to the show. It's great to hear from you. Um, but Dustin, on this defense, man, um, they are probably, you know, I what I think about is the unit that makes me the most confident going forward to achieve their goals. So I think back to like 2011, it was the offense. 2013, it was the defense. So, and you're thinking, you're thinking big 12 title. How does Oklahoma state win a big 12 title, you know, get to the college football playoff. And it's not on the back of the offense. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about kind of my philosophy here, but this defense at the current moment is unlike anything I've seen in Stillwater Frankly, anything I've seen in the Big 12, I can't remember the last time a Big 12 defense looked like this, just week in and week out. And the, the scary part is they are absolutely getting noticeably better every week. They really are. And they were awesome, again, against TCU. They had a few lapses. That first drive, TCU was, after the turnover, was able to kind of get in the red zone, hit on a couple of big plays. They actually had, when I went back and looked at the stats, they actually had a few more big plays than I remembered. And I think it's just because they were having so much trouble stringing drives together. 
But Jim Knowles talked about it after the game, gave up a few more explosive plays than they would have liked. He talked about some different formations they went to early on. You basically saw them go quads or four receivers to the same side on, on their first two plays. They went trips to the right and then sprinted the running back out that way on the first play. And then the next play, they actually lined up four wide receivers to the right. Then they come back on that fourth down, have everybody in bunch tight to the line of scrimmage and give it to uh, Quentin Johnson on the kind of end around play. I hadn't in any of the three games of TCU I watched, I hadn't seen that. So they threw some things at Oklahoma state that they weren't expecting. I think you and I kind of talked about that. There's not a lot of film. They had a game and a half of film on Chandler Morris. They're not going to completely revamp their offense in the middle of the season, but they are going to be able to do a couple of things that they can't do with Duggan that they can't do with some of the other guys they have out there. And we saw that early on, but those talked about it. They were, he said, the guys, they just do such a good job of responding to his calls extremely quickly. When he adjusts in game, the guys know exactly what he's talking about and they're able to do it on the field. You got to remember he's up in the box, right? Right. He's relaying this stuff down to them. The Oklahoma defense is one of the most high IQ group of athletes. I think I've ever watched just, you can see it every single play. They're calling stuff out, pointing things out, mixing stuff around. And it was just really, really impressive to watch. Well, and and I, I kind of thought about this, like, because I, I saw the same thing you did. That first drive, and really the first, you know, half of the first quarter, TCU was kind of throwing some stuff at Oklahoma State. And I, I wanted to call it junk, but it really wasn't. I think they had just schemed Oklahoma State up. There's enough film right now to where you're going to see some things on film where you can exploit this team. And so I look ahead to TC or Texas Tech and Oklahoma, and I think, okay, if they can just get through this these first quarters, which has kind of been the case, you know, looking back in, in, in you know, previous Bedlam's previous, uh, you know, big games, if you can just weather that first storm where a team is going to give you everything they got at the beginning and then they're going to get into their game plan, you're in a good position. And that's what I think we saw this week, where when TCU got out of their, their you know, so their, their 10 best plays that they had against this defense, they got manhandled. And so I, I would want to know, and I, I should have done this. I got a podcast. I don't know why I didn't. But that first quarter <laughs> versus the next three, what that looked like, because it visibly looked completely different. Uh, I, I was actually a little bit worried when TCU started uh, – you know, throwing some of those seam routes up the middle with their tight ends and and getting the entire play going one way and throwing it back across the field. It was like, okay, we're going to be in for a dog fight here. And it was not a dog fight, sir. It was a dog and cat fight. So if you look at what, – what do you want to say? The first three quarters, first yeah. team offense? Yeah. Okay. So you've got 87 total yards for TCU in the first quarter. And then in the second and third quarter combined, you have 80. Yeah, that's exactly. Thank you for pulling that up, Dustin. This is why we go well together, because that's exactly what I'm sitting here thinking. I'm like, I know that first quarter looked completely different because and it's what we've seen the last couple of weeks. Uh, West Virginia's first drive, you know, they get half their total yards on on really like one play, one long screen uh, dragged out, missed tackle with Sam James. And, and that's kind of what they got. Um Again, I only say that because I, I kind of look forward to seeing what happens this week where, you know, Texas Tech showed a lot on film last week against Iowa State with Donovan Smith, another young quarterback coming off a big performance. Again, I highlight the word young there 
because not <laughs> one young quarterback has looked good against this Oklahoma State defense. And so I can't wait to see what happens there. But I just thought they overall really put the clamps down after TCU showed them their cards. Yeah, and that's a perfect kind of segue into the point I wanted to bring up next, you talking about young quarterbacks. I, I saw some people talking about because TCU is able to go four and five wide so much or because they go four and five wide so much, how is Knowles going to disguise? Because, you know, Oklahoma State likes to play man. They did do a great job, I think, in this game of mixing in man and zone. But you're going to have to have guys lined up. You're going to have to have your safety out there if they've got trips over to one side. How is he going to disguise things? Morris is still just going to be able to kind of pick pick apart like against Baylor. But we saw a lot of really cool things. I sent you that video. Basically, what they were doing is lining up over the trips, and then the defensive backs are switching their responsibilities off the snap. I put out a video on Twitter of something similar they did against West Virginia, but they're switching on one place on one place specifically. I'm pretty sure Chandler Morris thinks he has one-on-one with the slot who's going to go on a deep route. So you've got, you've got Tanner McAllister over the slot. You've got Holmes on the outside. They do a switch. The linebacker, Devin Harper, comes over. They bracket the slot. So now there's two guys on this slot. And then Tanner McAllister sprints out to the flats on Quentin Johnson. So completely different look than what you would have expected. You think – McAllister's on the slot straight up and he's going to go with him down the field where he looks like Morris was looking for the slot going deep. And then his second progression is that out route. Well, both of them looked like they might be open before the snap and the defense completely shifts their coverage on that side. And neither more. And guess what happened? (laughs) Colin Oliver sacked him. Yeah. (laughs) I, I mean, there was just so much. They did a lot of stuff where, you can see, and I'll put, I'll put these videos out on Twitter. They would go press. They would look like they're in press tight man coverage before the snap. Right before the snap count, run off into zone. And then they may actually still be in a matchup zone there where, where it's technically still man. I don't know how Morris didn't throw multiple interceptions. I mean, he only threw the ball 20 times, but there was just so much confusing. They were bringing, they were bringing guys off the edge. They brought a couple safety blitzes. They were able to kind of bring five or more and still cover well enough in the back. I know there was one place specifically, I think it was third and four. They do their typical Jim Knowles, third down, everybody up, cover zero look. And TCU was actually running mesh where the two inside receivers come across and they try to set a a legal quotes pick, a rub. Well, Oklahoma State drops into zone. Morris has there's so many zone players in the middle right there. There's nowhere like to go. A shallow zone. He has nowhere to throw it. He has to throw it to the crosser after he comes all the way across and he's behind the line of scrimmage. And then a great tackle is made. I think Thomas Harper made that tackle, but just so much confusion. Well, and that's again, I I don't want to keep looking forward because I think we'll talk about this in a different section of the podcast. But Chandler Morris, young quarterback, Donovan Smith, young quarterback. Whoever you get out of Oklahoma, I think it's probably going to be Spencer Rattler. My gut tells me that's who's going to be playing in Bedlam. Hot take. Uh, And then whoever you get in the Big 12 title game, knock on wood, all young quarterbacks who Oklahoma State, I I anticipate, has shown a lot of confusion against coming up. So, uh, again, they are very clearly wreaking havoc. Colin Oliver, just for a second, can we give the man some, some praise? 
that guy an animal. is an absolute freak. I mean, he he's is he as good as Calvin Bundage was already? I think, I think he and that's be no better. disrespect to Calvin <laughs> Bundage. I'm he's, I'm literally saying Calvin Bundage was one of like the best edge rushers that Oklahoma State had in a while. And now you've got this freshman freak who, by the way, shout out to 10 Jim and Edmund. Uh, <laughs> I think I said it on the last podcast. I knew Colin Oliver was going to be a freak when I saw him at the gym uh, last summer. It's like, oh, <laughs> that dude's different. But I didn't know it was going to be like this. I mean, he's just so fundamentally sound for a freshman, too. He's always right there and is always pushing up the field but is not getting out of his lane and really leaves the quarterback nowhere to run. And this is against mobile quarterbacks in, in Morris, Daigie, uh, Jimmy Bean, or Jason Bean, still don't know his first name. <laughs> He's pushing up the field and is containing. He's just so fundamentally sound. And for a young guy to show that on film, it's like that's the sign of, one, a smart player, two, a really well-coached defense. Yeah, and like you said, it's not it's not just him rushing straight up the field and being faster. He's got mm-hmm. the rip move. He we've seen him throw the spin move out there. He's able to take the blow, the initial blow from the tackle, readjust, keep his ground, and still power through and make moves back there. He's just so strong and fast for such a young player. It's incredible. And that's that's kind of how I'm describing it. Like he just pushes in the correct direction whatever that requires a rip move spin move it doesn't matter but he's always going in the correct direction and it looks in control and it's just like you got somebody like that i mean i can only imagine what this defense looks like with trace ford <laughs> I, yeah i can't oh, wait God. i can't wait <laughs> i mean seven sacks and four qb hurries let me can i hit you with some stats real quick Kim? hold on seven sacks this week yes so what's that 15 in two weeks <laughs> yes that is how many <laughs> texas tech has on the season Oh, okay. Good to, good so, to know. Four QB hurries. We can throw we some got, no hitters with numbers like that. <laughs> <laughs> We've got TCU 0 for 4 on third down and nine or longer, two for 13 on total third downs. Seven yards to go was their average distance to go on third down. I talked about Oklahoma State's being 3.7. TCU's was almost seven yards on third down. That's not great. 0 for 4 on runs of two yards or less to get the first down. OSU stopped them all four times. They only got in the red zone two times. I'm, I, that's all I had, but I don't know. I don't even know what else there is. I feel bad because every time we talk on the defense, it's like we kind of laugh at the other team, not on purpose, because just like that was really good, really good on the defense. And, and it, I hope nobody ever takes it as though like, you know, you literally, you reading that off made me laugh because it's just like, I don't know how that's even possible. No, we've never seen anything I, like it. Yeah, and like you said, we're not we're not trying to make funny about it. We're laughing because it's it's crazy to read that stuff out loud. I did want 100%. I did want to mention though, Cade. Yeah, I did want to mention Chandler Morris did miss some open throws. He did. He had he had some throws over the middle that he did miss. It's not, it wasn't exactly similar to what we saw Brock Purdy do on this defense because he was doing it more with some of the RPO, some of the really quick stuff. Morris had some stuff up and down the field in the middle of the field that he missed. Some of it was due to pressure. So you can't really fault the defense because they're pressuring him. They might be giving up something in coverage, but they're getting to him in pressure, causing him to make a bad throw. Yeah, right. But I, I don't think, I, 
I don't think Donovan Smith is going to be the guy that takes advantage of that, but you're talking about some of these quarterbacks down the road. Maybe we see in the bowl game. If you have some more experienced guys like a Purdy, maybe he can find some of these gaps, but I think it's more of a, they're sending more guys at the quarterback and giving up something in coverage than them being bad in coverage because you saw Quentin Johnson, he had one catch yeah. and they shaded safety help to him sometimes, but sometimes it was just Bernard Converse and Holmes on him. Well, it seems like that's the really recipe. Well. It seems like that's yeah. what they want to do. Right. I mean, I look back at the Baylor game, they gave up a couple of deep shots really in that same spot on the field to, to Baylor. And, but how much pressure did they put on Jerry Bohannon in that game? A ton. And, yeah. and then I look back at, you know, uh, the Texas game, they gave up some deep shots down the middle as well. Um, again, I think you're, what you're saying is spot on. They are willing to give that up because I mean, shoot, even if you hit that at this point, are you, are you guaranteed that you're going to score anything? I mean, you may walk away with three points, but I think Oklahoma State's willing to give you that if, it, as the odds have shown more times than not, they're going to get to you and force you either into an incompletion or worse. No, that's a perfect point because the field shortens in the red zone. Right. And they're not giving that stuff up in the red zone. So you don't want to give up these big plays, but I think it's, and, and Noel's hit on it. He wanted to give up less than that. I did want to just point that out though, because we were talking about how we were not making fun of CCU. No, 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 <laughs> some no. Of stats. So I did want to point out that they did scheme up some, some looks that were open that, Morris just missed and he could have hit it. I did, Cade, before we move on, and obviously if you have some more, I, want, I did just, I didn't want to forget. I wanted to shout out the two backup linebackers. I don't think we've talked about them very much on here. Cameron Farr and Mason Cobb. We haven't yeah. seen them in a ton of work this season. Those guys are really good. It's, it, I get very much Malcolm Rodriguez, Devin Harper vibes out of those two, right? <laughs> they are really, really good. And, I don't think they're not going to come in right away and be Devin Harper and Malcolm Rodriguez when those guys move on, but they're going to come in and be two really solid linebackers who we say, you know, man, it sucks not having Malcolm and Devin, but these guys are good. Yeah. And I could see them getting to that potential. Maybe not, maybe not fifth all time. Yeah, tackles right, right, like right. Malcolm <laughs> I just, they just play a very similar style. And it's very clear that, that Knowles is recruiting that level, that type of athlete, in that spot uh, because the depth is, it just kind of jumps out at you. So I can't wait to see what those young guys do, but for now I'm kind of relishing in this, you know, historic defense in Stillwater. I mean, I, again, I, I look at right now, the advanced analytics point to Oklahoma state being at worst, like the third best defense in college football, which is absolutely mind blowing. And when you factor in that the offense is, it's it's good and it's turning into really good like it's not it was bad at the beginning of the year and they've come all this way while the defense is hung rock solid and it couldn't happen at a better time because again i think you look at two again <laughs> you look at a vulnerable team in texas tech and then an oklahoma team that really does not match up well with what you do well so i say that uh, knowing that you and I will talk about this, you know, coming up, but Dustin, any final thoughts on, on TCU? We didn't, we've talked about them so much. We don't have to linger on them at all. I just wanted to, you know, Israel Antoine, Jernigan, Tyler Lacey, Brendan Evers, Brendan Evers, Brock Martin, the, everyone that contributes as defensive Freaks. line, just absolute animals. I think Antoine had one of his best games. He was 
causing some havoc. And Tyler Lacey had that batted ball. I guess it hit him like in the head, but I'm still going to count it. So, yeah, I mean, that, that counts. It's on the stat sheet, right? Well, yeah. anyway, yeah, TCU, it's a tough year for them. I think they're going to rebound. It will, it will be very interesting to see who they bring in. My money is that it's not Deion Sanders, uh, but I wish it was because uh, in this new Big 12, TCU is going to be a threat. And with Dion, I'm not sure they would have been. So bummer, <laughs> bummer TCU. Uh, all right, Dustin, before we move on to Texas Tech, which I'm sure we're going to get into, let's hear another word from one of our sponsors. All right, guys, listen up. Our partners at Symbol, who you already know, have a brand new offering, and we're pumped about it. But before we get to that, here's a quick reminder of what you already know. Symbol is a stock market for sports that allows you to profit off of your sports knowledge. And on Symbol, you can trade sports like stocks, and every time your team wins, you earn cash. Use your sports knowledge on Symbol to buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your team wins. Join the over 8,000 early adopters who have started to invest in their favorite teams and visit www.simbull.com to create a free account. And when you deposit, make sure you use our promo code feels 12 for a money back guarantee. Hold on just a second. Money back guarantee. You heard it right. Symbol, our partner is offering a money back guarantee to all of the listeners of this show. That money back guarantee means even if you lose money in the first 90 days, Symbol will refund your initial deposit with no questions asked. I don't know anybody doing something like that right now. So visit www.symbol.com and again, use our promo code FEELS12 and your deposit will have a money back guarantee up to 500 bucks. Join Symbol and start investing and profiting from your favorite teams today. Okay, headed into Lubbock, huge game, night game, seven o'clock kickoff on Fox. You know, Texas Tech, a, a sneaky six and four this season, breaking in a new quarterback, Donovan Smith. Um, you know, kind of a veteran group in, in some positions there. Not, not one that wows you on any, you know, specific part of the field, but what strikes me as a solid team, really from top to bottom with, with you know, strengths in some areas, and, and glaring weaknesses in others. But Dustin, I, I look at this game as really the last, I mean, it's, it's obvious. I'm not speaking any rocket science here. You win this game and you're in whatever happens in Bedlam, you win on Saturday, you're in the big 12 title game. So everything's right there in front of you. How do you see this one playing out? And tech had a tech had a solid game against Iowa state. They scored most of their points in the first half, I think they had, I was looking it up. So they had 31 of their 41 in the first half. And then Iowa 31. State kind of came back. Iowa State came back and scored 24 in the second and Tech only scored 10. So there, it was kind of a, it's kind of an odd game. There were some fourth downs that teams went for that I think they shouldn't have went for. Purdy had two interceptions. It was Donovan Smith's interception, I don't even think was really on him. I don't know if you saw that, but he hit the tight oh, end. It was unbelievable. <laughs> he hit the tight end. It bounced off of him at like as they were bringing him to the ground. So they didn't call it a catch. They called it like a deflection off his body straight into the defender's hands. It was actually a good throw by Smith. So, but before before we get into kind of their scheme and everything, I just want to talk a little bit about Donovan Smith because it's 
the exact same situation as Chandler Morris. When we talk about Chandler Morris, I think had four, you looked it up, four passing attempts before that K-State game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Donovan Smith had five before before last week, before two weeks ago's game against OU when he came in because uh, Columbia got, I think he got hurt, but then now I think he's out. He may, I think he's dressing for this game, but I think he got hurt in the OU game. I, I wasn't watching with sound, but he came out. Smith comes in, does okay, kind of similar to how Morris did against Kansas State. Not terrible, not great. They're already down by a ton, so OU's got their second string in for part of that. Then he comes in and he goes 35 for 32 for 322 yards, three touchdowns, and then one interception, which I'm not even going to count against him, and then 14 rushes for 50 yards. It was a pretty impressive performance by a guy, Cade, who didn't play quarterback until his senior year of high school. His dad, DeAndre Smith, is the running backs coach at Tech, Wow. He was at Bishop Gorman playing wide receiver. His dad got the tech job. He switched, he switched high schools to a different high school in Texas, played quarterback for them, did really well. But he kind of – it's weird. He's not super fast. I know I talked about the rushing yards. I found his high school 40 time was a, like about a five flat. I think he that was mine. He was, <laughs> he was a track and field guy, but hurdles. He did really well in hurdles. He's not really a straight line speed guy. It's more of like a Patrick Mahomes elusiveness. I think Mahomes 40 was like a 4.8, 4.9. It's more the fact that he's a smart runner. He can evade the pass rush and he's got really good body control. Also, his passing is pretty impressive. He's got yeah. pretty good, good accuracy. He's got a pretty good arm and he's able to, like you said, good touch. He's able to kind of change the velocity. He'll zoom one in and then he'll put touch on a ball. So it's pretty impressive to watch. I, I'm not sure whose performance was more impressive out of him and Morris's from the game before ours, but I just kind of wanted to hit on him and kind of get what, what you've seen from him, what your thoughts are. He makes me – it's a little bit more interesting than Chandler Morris because he – I completely different styles. You know, Chandler Morris had some Johnny Manziel, Baker Mayfield, all that to him. Donovan Smith has some um, – you know, like Dak Prescott to him or some he's six, five, two, three. I know. I'm trying to think like, he's got some, um, like Donovan Cam, McNabb. Yeah. Donovan <laughs> McNabb, some Cam Newton without the straight line speed. Um, he's very interesting. And, um, he made some good throws in that game. And again, I, I look back at what Chandler Morris was able to do against Baylor, which is a fantastic defense. It feels like Iowa state's mailed it in. I don't know what, <laughs> version of iowa state they got but it wasn't the version we freaking got so i'd like a do-over please i'd like to i'd like to cash in our mulligan because uh i'd like that iowa state but again that's no disrespect i i look at donovan smith and i'm like okay if he stands in the pocket the way he stood in the pocket against iowa state he's gonna have a long day um i don't trust that a freshman quarterback will be able to see the field. Granted, 6'5", he's going to see the field well from, from a, a vantage point point of view. But the way Oklahoma State confuses quarterbacks, especially a young quarterback, it will be interesting because Iowa State runs a similar you know, brand of defense to Oklahoma State. You know, rush a few, create chaos however you need to. Um, but I think Oklahoma State does it much more consistently, and they're able to get pressure. I, I mean, Iowa State did not get any pressure on this guy. I think they had one sack all day um, against Smith, and, I mean, even that was, you know, held the ball forever. So, 
Yeah, I th- I think I saw on PFF they have nine of his of his thirty three attempts. Nine of them he was blitzed on, and he co- he was able to actually complete seven of those. But he does look he's able to evade the pass rush because he's like I said he's got some good body control, but he gets rattled and he will leave the pocket early like Morris does. That's well, you I do. I mean, you do that action. against this defense. That's that's a recipe for disaster. Uh, truthfully. So let's talk a little bit, I guess, about their scheme. Sonny Cumbie, air raid guy. But to, I feel like I say this every time it's an air raid guy. They want to run the ball. That's what they want. That's, <laughs> That's the air raid, want. baby. That's what they want to do. They want to set up the run. They've got Taj Brooks. They've got Sir Roderick Thompson. And they've got Xavier White. And Xavier White actually didn't get a carry against Iowa State, but he caught a couple passes, which was a little odd. But the, they they kind of mixed those three guys in. They've all had some decent games this year. They rushed for 207 yards, including Donovan Smith on Iowa State, 6.1 yards per carry. They like they like to run split zone. They'll throw some gap stuff in there. You guys are familiar with the split zone run. That's They used that a lot against Iowa State, and it worked pretty well. They kind of got their defense guessing. They've got uh, Travis Kuntz at tight end coming across on that split zone block. They They'll throw out some 12 personnel looks. It looked like it was primarily 11 and 10. I was able to go back and watch the OU and then the, uh, the Iowa State game. But they'll throw two tight ends out there, um, and they'll kind of move them around a little bit. They do a lot of pre-stat motion. What they want to do in the passing game is get the ball to Enzukama. He might be one of the best wide receivers in the Big 12. I think – I think he might be better than Xavier Hutchinson in Iowa State, who had a solid game against Oklahoma State. He's about six foot three, 220. They like to go to him on deep routes, but they'll throw it to him on screens. He's a jump ball guy. They want to throw it to him on smaller cornerbacks, and he is just a monster. He's a contested catch guy, and I think if they throw some jump balls up on Holmes and Bernard Converse, you're going to need some strength from those guys. We know Holmes has it. He's jacked, but – you're going to need some strength from those guys to stop, but they, they built, they build around the running game. And Kate, bef- one thing I t- really wanted to touch on about their running game, Donovan Smith, they ran a lot of zone read with him. They even threw in some QB power stuff, which is where the backside guard pulls around a typical power play just with the quarterback. Iowa state wasn't keeping a defender there at all. They weren't respecting the read at all. And they didn't have much film to go off of. I think he only had like one zone read or two zone read runs against OU so they didn't have much film to go off. And like we said, he's not a fast, super fast straight line speed guy, but there was nobody there. He could have kept it 20 times. Several times, I don't think he had the option to read. I think the coaches told him to give it. But when he started pulling it, I think I'm, I'm going to go through his first half runs. Eight yards, four yards, eight yards, nine yards, 10 yards, two yards, nine yards in the first half. So he was basically getting eight yards every time he kept it. And those were mostly all designed runs. It's interesting. I mean, I, I go back to Ezukama as, as the guy that makes me nervous. I mean, we saw Sir Roderick Thompson last year, gash Oklahoma state on that fourth down run around the edge untouched. I think he did that a couple of times, actually, if I'm not mistaken in Stillwater last year, Ezukama last game. year, I mean, that name should not, uh, you know, be a surprise to anybody. Seven catches, 183 yards and two touchdowns in Stillwater last year. Um, so there's some skill talent there. There always is. It's a question of how does that offensive line hold up against Oklahoma State's defensive line, defensive pressure, and can the young quarterback not make the mistakes? And, and can he stand in there and find somebody? I'm, I'm dubious. 
Yeah, I agree. The, in the run game, the interior of their offensive line is pretty good. And like I said, Koontz is a good blocking tight end. But I think in the passing game, they're, they give up a little bit. I think Iowa State sacked them four times. They can give – they give up some leeway. Some I'm going to keep saying no hitters because I thought that was hilarious that Gundy said that. But they can give some of those up, and I think Oklahoma State will be able to get some pressure there. I, I think there's kind of two things you could do against them. You could kind of match up coverage, do some of that match zone, man coverage, and keep numbers in the box to try to stop the run game. Or you can go two high or three high safety Iowa State look, which we saw Oklahoma State do against TCU, kind of keep those back and just not let Inzukama or Miles Price, their, their good slot receiver, beat you deep and beat you in the intermediate. So I think either one they choose, I think this defense is good enough to be able to execute one of those two game plans, give a little leeway like we talked about earlier in either the pass game or the run game, but still come out on top with a really solid game. Well, we haven't seen much opportunity on the sidelines for opposing, you know, offenses passing deep, not a lot on the sidelines. So I look at it as you comment, I'm like, okay, how do they figure out a way to get him open where Oklahoma state is shown to be vulnerable this year in the middle of the field. That's going to be interesting to see how Sonny Cumbie moves him around. If they do it all again, he's a six foot three guy. It seems like he's pretty much going to be on that outside. So are we going to see some double moves? We're going to see some, you know, deep posts. That's what I would expect to see them try to get him open down the field with some physical uh, matchups where he's going to have the size advantage. Um, If they're able to do that, I think this game stays close for a while. Um, and, and I think Lubbock at night, um, you know, I, th- I think road games in this type of year for Oklahoma state where the defense is, is so uh, fundamentally sound. I think you take that on the road and, and, and you go play anywhere. I mean, you walk into yeah. Tuscaloosa and that defense is going to travel. So I don't get nervous about uh, Lubbock. So everybody talking about that, I don't get necessarily nervous about that. I actually get nervous about the, the matchup itself. Does that same Donovan Smith show up? Because if he does, then this is going to be a good game. This is going to be a fourth quarter game. And if Oklahoma State's able to do what they've done the last four weeks, it won't be. So and they have to finish tackles against Smith because like we've talked about, he is a big dude. Big, big old dude. Um, <laughs> you know, on the offensive side, what do you see that Oklahoma State's going to – how do you think they're going to attack – you know, Texas Tech's defense. Again, not really a whole lot that I look at that worries me. I mean, the advanced analytics don't point to a really great defense, but I'll be interested to see what Oklahoma State's able to do, and I'm curious as, as to what you've seen. Yeah, so they've got uh, Keith Patterson as their defensive coordinator. He's been at West Virginia, led some defenses there. I think when they first came to the Big 12, I think he was their defensive coordinator there. It's been at Utah Maybe State. So. I mean, he, he's a solid defensive coordinator. They kind of run that like three down lineman with the that kind of looks like a four down lineman set because they normally have that linebacker up on the edge. They'll sometimes put him back as a typical linebacker. They have that spur position, which is like a linebacker defensive back hybrid, kind of like a nickel. Um, I think they call one of their other linebackers Raider. Uh, they used to actually list it like that on the roster, I think, but I think if they just have it as the will, like the weak side linebacker now. Um, they do some zone coverage, cover three, some cover two variations like Tampa, some quarters. But what they've had to do a lot this year is go to man because the only way – I talked about it, 15 sacks on the year. I think they only have seven in Big 12 play. The only way they can generate any pressure is by blitzing. 
So they kind of have to go into man coverage or do some kind of funky zone blitzes, which I think if they zone blitz against Sanders, he's going to tear him apart because mm. he'll be able to find his reads pretty quickly. But that's kind of what they have to do. Their defensive line played awesome against the run against Iowa State. They, it was it was actually pretty crazy to watch. They've got um, Devin Drew number ninety and Jalen Hutchins number ninety five. Those two had amazing games against Iowa State, but but still, they're just not able to get a ton. And I, sorry, I said Iowa State had four sacks earlier. They only had one, but um, I was just looking at those stats. But they're just <laughs> not able to get a ton of pressure on the quarterback. They've got some solid. They've got Colin Schooler and a Krishan Merriweather at their linebackers, both solid players. If they if they end up putting a spy on Spencer Sanders, I think it would be schooler, but if they have to run this man coverage and blitz, they're not gonna be able to have a spy. I think there's going to be a lot of scramble opportunities for Sanders. And I think one thing they do, even if Cassidy isn't back, I think we see some more of Logan Carter, as well as a second cowboy back, whether that be Blaine green, I think we'll see more of Silas Barr and maybe even some Quentin Stewart, who we've seen a couple times recently at cowboy back them going 12 personnel and it's not even split zone. It's not anything fancy. It's just outside zone running with the cowboy backs on the same side, one at tight end, one at H back, and just bashing through this Texas Tech defensive line. It does not feel like man, I mean, to me, is the best way to make Spencer Sanders beat you. Am I off base on that? It seems like he's pretty good at finding the open guy quickly. But when he has to yeah. go through his progressions, and again, I'm looking at you know the last three years, when he has to go through his progressions in a in a you know you know seven man eight man uh, you know defense in the on the back end, it seems like that's where he tends to have trouble. So if they're if they're gonna threaten to put man out there, that doesn't seem like especially you start thinking about who's who's gonna get big day Tay okay, who's gonna guard Brennan Presley. That feels like a, a bad idea just against the way this Oklahoma State team likes to attack. And, and we saw Spencer kind of move the ball around a lot last game. So if they're going to put extra emphasis on stopping Tay Martin, I think Spencer's feeling pretty comfortable with these receivers now having him back for so many weeks in a row. And I think another spot where Spencer's going to be huge, which you talked about going against the man coverage, since I'm sure we'll see some mesh that we talked about earlier oh, yeah. with those rubber oh, yeah. but but what I, I think Spencer's going to be huge in the run game here because like I talked about that zone running play I just talked about they basically left that backside edge player unblocked and that's who Spencer was reading and overall in the run game we talked about it earlier they did really well against Iowa State but Tech gave up 394 yards to TCU now that's when they had Zach Evans and Kendra Miller but still 394 yards rushing Texas gashed them for 336 and Kansas even put up over 100. Now, other than that, they've been able to hold teams below 100. But those are probably, I mean, T TCU and Texas with Bajan and with Zach Evans are two of the better rushing teams in the Big 12 and just completely tore them apart on the ground. Texas, I had this, they abs, so thanks to Ian Boyd for actually, in one of his articles, he put this in, who writes for Inside Texas, 271 yards on 42 attempts, 6.5 yards per carry on outside and inside zones Jeez. against this tech defense. That's what Texas gashed him for. Mark it down. Mark it down. Yeah, I think we see a lot of that. I think 
I think when they, I think just as the game goes on, this defensive line, it's going to be a similar to TCU. You know, they're, they like to slam as well. They like to throw some stunts in there on the, on the pass. But I think at some point they're just going to get worn down, even if it's Tyrese Williams and Mahalski in there. I think Oklahoma State is going to be able to start this zone running game from the very beginning, and they're just going to wear them down. And if they try to overcompensate, that's when you get Big Day Tay, and that's when you get Brandon Presley. If they try to bring too many guys into the box – I think Span- Sanders is comfortable enough and he's mo- he's moving well enough right now that he'll he'll be able to tear him apart. I think we just uh, coined and sell the shirts. Big day Tay. It's coming <laughs> on Saturday. I was looking at this the way Tylen Wallace tore them up last year, just on simple go routes. You know, some of the dig routes that that Tay Martin runs so well. I am I'm calling it right now. This is a big game for Tay Martin, especially if Tech feels like they can man him up. It's not going to end well for them, um, and that, this is the way I see it. No, I, I completely agree. And going back to those stats that I just said about those people that they held for un- – those teams that they held for under 100 rushing yards, well, some of the teams they did that to, OU was able to throw for 469 yards on them. Iowa State, they held under 100 rushing yards but threw for 356. Yeah. Stephen F. Austin threw for 343. West Virginia, they held just under 100 yards rushing, but they threw for 330. So tech kind of picks what they're going to give up. And I don't think they're going to be able to pick against Oklahoma state because I think Oklahoma state's going to be able to run the ball on them. I love it. I mean, let's, let's get right to it. What's your, what's your prediction score wise? How do you see this going? So I think what I said was four TDs and then a couple field goals. So I've got 34 to 20 but I think they only score 13 on the first team defense and they get a garbage touchdown. Late. Mm. Man, the last couple of weeks I have. So 34, 13 is I think what yeah. really it would look like the last couple of weeks. I've been pretty conservative in my, in my picks. I've picked closer games and we've seen blowouts. Uh, you know, the, the, um, you know, the I, I would love to do that again to try to force a hand, but I am going to actually think that this is a bad matchup for Texas Tech. Um, I'm going to go 41-17 Oklahoma okay. State. Um, I, I I don't see – I mean, unless they, unless they figure out a way to consistently get Miles Price and Eric Azucama open, I don't see a – consistent way they're able to generate points you know they may be able to move the ball inside the 30 yard lines but beyond that like what do you do when you get to the red zone and this defense really tightens up I I don't know how they're going to be able to consistently generate that Um, and I I honestly think after having talked to you and based on what I'd seen I think this is a big game for Spencer I think this is really a defense that he's going to be comfortable against. And we've already seen him comfortable against other defenses that historically give him a lot of trouble. So he's going to be right at home with a matchup like this, the way I see it. Um, and I think you're spot on tech's not going to be able to stop the run completely, take it away. Like they did against Iowa state. Again, I think they got a different Iowa state team than has existed previously this season. I think Oklahoma state fires off the ball. And I don't, I don't know I think this game is close for a little while. I think it's close in halftime, early third third quarter. I think we get a maybe, you know, Spencer Sanders get away from the cop speed type moment (laughs) that really busts this game open. 
Yeah, no, I like I like that prediction as well. So just just so we have it out there, we both I have the line at 10 and a half and the over under set at 56 and a half. So you're going over, I'm under, and then we both have Oklahoma State covering. And I agree with everything you said. I think the only reason I'm not going with a huge offensive day is I think Oklahoma State gets up early. The defense shuts Texas Tech down early. And then I think with Bedlam coming up as the next game, Oklahoma State gets real – and Mike Gundy get really conservative <laughs> in the second half. I think we see a lot of running the football, maybe some more three and outs in the second half, clock kind of going on the runs. And I think it just ends a little bit quicker than – and they're not able to get to the 55-63 that we've oh, seen. I'd, I'd love for this game to uh, to be in hand in middle of the third quarter. Uh, I think it could be. I'm, I just get nervous about, you know, the spot. Um, I don't know. I think, I think they pull away late. Um, but again, I, I love the matchup. I think, I just think Texas tech comes to play. Yeah. I love it. I, I love that you, uh, you went aggressive there. I I'm proud of you. I just, uh, the superstitionist in me, I'm like every week I'm like, well, I don't know about this one. I feel pretty good about this. This is not yeah. a great matchup for tech. I, I was too much of a baby to do it last week, but I remember talking to you at your tailgate before the game. I thought it could have been a blowout, but I'm saying that now everyone's going to be like, yeah, I'm sure you did it. Yeah, but <laughs> sure. Sure. Why didn't you say it last week? No, I'm scared. I'm yeah. scared. Well, I, I don't want to be that guy. And then, you know, what happens on Saturday if it doesn't happen? And I said 41, 17, then I get dragged on Twitter, but it, it is what it is. Life, life is life, yeah, but no, you'll, you'll, you'll get dragged on here too, but, but oh, yeah. <laughs> I still love it. Yeah, rightfully so. All right, Dustin, uh, before we move on to the finals, any any other thoughts on Texas Tech, anything you've got hanging out there? No, I don't think so, but I, I actually really liked watching Donovan Smith. I think that's one of my only things. I don't think he'll have a good game against Oklahoma State, but I could see him being their starter going forward and being okay. I could, I could spend you know 10 minutes trying to think of the perfect comp for him because he's a little bit old school. Like He's just so big. Uh, yeah it's it's not he moves well he's pretty fluid like that's why the cam newton thing jumped out at me i'm trying to think like you know a um not a, not a joe burrow but just that big like fluid moving quarterback um it'll be interesting to see how he does on saturday but that's what we've got you know college football playoff talk we've got basketball we've got listener questions coming up right after the break There's a specific set of rules I live by, and one of those is that no tailgate is complete without a grill. No tailgate of mine, at least. And I know that no grill is complete without Gridiron Metalworks. Uh, these guys are fantastic. If you haven't heard of them, take a look. They do great work. They do collegiate-branded grill grates, griddles, flower pots, stainless steel bookends, coasters, can coolers, and it's all in Oklahoma State school colors. I don't know if you've been walking through the store before. You see something with the Oklahoma State logo, but it really resembles the suit that Lloyd wore in Dumb and Dumber. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's not even close. But these guys at Gridiron Metalworks, they nail the color. And with their products, you know, with their grill grates, you can sear your steak, burgers, brats, veggies, and they give you the perfect Pistol Pete mark every time. Plus, in addition to all that, this is the perfect gift to shop for. I know we got the holidays coming up right around the corner, and you probably know somebody in your life who you need something to buy something for, whether it's a boss, family member, coworker, whatever it may be. I bet you know who they like, what team they support, where they went to school, and I bet they're a Big 12 school. And if they are, 
every single Big 12 school has a product through Gridiron Metalworks. So go check them out. Um, these are high quality, custom cut, made in the United States. And right now, when you use the promo code FEELS12, you'll actually get 15% off your first purchase. It's a fantastic deal. Um, I don't know if my wife's listening. I want one of these. Speaking of you know, somebody that's hard to purchase for, that's me. I know I do not have a Pistol Pete grill grate on my grill, but I wish I did. And uh, maybe she's standing outside the door listening to me. I could, I could only help. But again, right now, use the promo code FEELS12 and you'll actually get 15% off your first purchase. It's a very generous offer and very thankful for that. I'm wondering if I can use my own promo code. I'll have to run that up the flagpole. Uh, the kicker, all orders over 100 bucks get free shipping. And so if you're a K-State fan, a West Virginia fan, uh, and you're looking for a grill grate, griddle, or a unique metal home good for your collection, just visit gridironmetal.com and use our promo code FEELS12 for 15% off your first order. Okay. Final thoughts. I mean, moving right on into college football playoff rankings, Dustin just released prior to uh, you and I jumping on the podcast, Oklahoma state coming in at nine behind one loss, Notre Dame, one loss, Michigan state, one loss, Michigan, one loss, Ohio state, uh, how what what does that do for you? Do you like these conversations? Because I get pretty exhausted with the college football playoff talk at this point. So do I. I I don't even really like watching it. I kind of just wait. See wait what the number the is come out. Yeah. I don't know. Do you think they could get in if they went out? I think if they went out and don't get in, you and I are on the first flight to where, where is the, the committee headquarters? Dallas? I think they're in Arlington. Yeah. Well, then you and I are on the first I might just there. drive, but well, I'll, I'll meet you there. I got some points that I can burn up and I don't want to spend that time in the car. Uh, but with me, yeah, <laughs> yeah, with you, I would, we could actually record a live pod on the way to, uh, grandstanding the, uh, the committee, but no, I, I, I like the spot. You know what? I was talking to my brother about it. He's a little bit concerned about Notre Dame at the A spot. To me, it's exhausting. I think, and I said this last week, you look at what's in front of Oklahoma State, not schedule-wise, but in the rankings, Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State are all going to play some version of each other. I mean, Ohio State's got to play both of those teams and a Big Ten uh, title game. If they went out, frankly, I would put them in, right? Like, if they were to win out through that schedule and go, you know, 12-1, and one, I would think they should be in. Um, but what would burn me, is a two-loss Alabama getting in, which I can just feel the the undercurrent churning, the the talk of getting the tide into the college football playoff with two losses if they were to lose to Georgia. That's that's where I fear that this is headed. That's just so miserable to me for you to even bring up, just because, and rightfully you should bring it up because I I could totally see that possibly happening too but I don't know if I've brought it up on this podcast but people that have listened to our other podcast know that uh both my parents went to LSU and that's that's where I lived until the middle of high school in Baton Rouge (laughs) so I hate Alabama anyway and if they got in over Oklahoma State with two losses then yeah I'd probably I'd be done well we just we just fly down to the committee we just have a nice (laughs) honest chat um but no, I, I think Oklahoma State, uh, to me, it's win and you're in. You know, the question you asked me at the beginning is if they win out of the end, I, I think they are. I think they would have to be. I don't see a way you could keep them out. Frankly, I think you jump Notre Dame at that point with a, with 
two wins over a Baylor or Oklahoma plus a win over – like if they went out, they are in. I think Oklahoma State fans can sleep soundly at night. And here's, here's what I really will be interested to see. Let's say Michigan State jumps up and beats Ohio State. Let's say Michigan State gets to the Big Ten title game, loses to Wisconsin. I mean, the possibilities in the Big Ten are endless. There's a real possibility they cannibalize itself, and nobody gets out of there with one loss. I mean, that that is a legitimate possibility. And so I will be very interested to see that because I, I expect Ohio State to beat Michigan and beat Michigan State, and then they're going to get a big swing from a Wisconsin or somebody like that in the Big Ten title game who plays physical defense. So, again, I don't want to sit here and break down the college football playoff rankings, well, but I just – I think Oklahoma State's in a better spot than people are giving them credit for. If they if they had a big, you know, cursive A on the side of their helmet or if they had a big <laughs> uh, shiny gold helmet, they'd be number four in the country today. So if if Oklahoma State gets in, who do you think the other three are? Just, just your prediction. <clears throat> My prediction – the way I see this, because I think Oregon's going to lose this weekend. I'm going to go Georgia one, Alabama two, because I do think Alabama is going to beat Georgia. Um, and I'm going to go Oklahoma State at three and Ohio State at four. And Cincinnati gets in with no, doesn't get in with no losses. I don't think they get in. I don't see any way if it all goes chalk. And again, I think Oklahoma state, you could interchange Oklahoma state or Ohio state at three or four. You honestly would probably put Ohio state at three, Oklahoma state at the four in that scenario, but shoot, I I would welcome the opportunity to play any one of those teams with this defense. It'd be fun. And, um, you know, to me, I Cincinnati just hasn't done enough. You know, they've beat Notre Dame, which to me, automatically erases Notre Dame from any conversation that we're having because they, they should not be able to jump Cincinnati. There's no way no, they should be able to, to do that. So Notre Dame's out in my mind. So Cincinnati, I'm sorry. This is just the system that screwed you. I don't see a way they get in <laughs> unless, unless chaos breaks loose. I mean, shit, Oklahoma state could lose. I mean, no doubt. So. Yeah, no, I like that. I what like about you? Person. How would you rank it? If, no, I'm going to go. I'm going with yours. Okay, with mine. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. Well, we've talked about it. We'll dust our hands with it and hope we get to talk about it again next week. Um, one other topic, an up and down week for Oklahoma State basketball. I mean, lots to, you know, potentially get in here. I think we may, we may save it. But, I mean, you know, a, a loss to Oakland at home. Um, really kind of a, a weird game from the jump had a, had a weird feeling. I don't know how much of it you watched Dustin Oakland just continuously uh, shaved points off the Oklahoma state lead until finally they took the lead for good. And it was just one of those strange games where Oklahoma state could never really get away. And, you know, it bit them big time. Yeah. Oakland played a zone pretty much the entire game and Oklahoma state shot three of 17 from three point range, 18%. It's not the only way you can beat the zone. You can beat the zone by getting it to the elbow. You can get behind the zone. You can attack the zone. You can score fast break points as much as you can. You can get out and run. So they can't set up from the zone. But one of the ways you have to beat it is you have to shoot better than 18% from three. And I'm a little worried about Oklahoma State's ability to shoot the three-pointer going into Big 12 play. 
I just, it, it, it worries me. It wor- I know we kind of talked about it before the season, but you saw a nine for 25 for 36% against UT Arlington. And then they only attempted 11 today against UMass. Well, well, and I mean, we saw that a lot last year where they just didn't really shoot a whole lot of three pointers. Cade Cunningham was really the, you know, primary three point shooter on that team um, because he was able to just dribble down and shoot. He was so big and they don't have that this year. And um, you know, I, I regret that I overlooked that because it is, it is glaringly obvious with this team right now that they don't have. And I think maybe Bryce Williams being back helps. Um, it does. You know, it, it has to, right? Um, because now you've got at least two perimeter threats that the defense has to respect. But even before that, they really had zero. Bryce Thompson hasn't shown a ton of consistency yet. I think he turns it on at some point. But, um, you know, it's, it's good to see that they've righted the ship a little bit, won comfortably the last two outings. Big game tomorrow against North Carolina State. I mean, by the time this comes out, it's going to be tonight. So, uh, huge game. That's that's really kind of split down the middle on who should win that. And uh, maybe an opportunity to get a little bit more of the bad taste out of your mouth. But uh, after that Oakland game, they've played really two cupcakes and done what you're supposed to do. Yeah, and I think, I think what you'll see, too, just not to get too worried about that early season loss is, you know, you lose Kate Cunningham, one of the best – players in possibly Oklahoma State history uh, just had a great night in the NBA recently but you lose yeah. a guy like that you get a bunch of transfers in you get a guy like Musa Cisse in there a, a all-conference freshman you get a five-star transfer like uh, T- Bryce Thompson in there Boynton's still playing with this lineup last season likely Anderson and Cunningham played over 30 minutes a game there's not a guy who's averaging over 26 minutes a game right now and, and you haven't even had Caleb Boone for more than two games. So Boynton's still tinkering with these lineups. I think come Big 12 play, I know that loss to Oakland sucks, but I think come Big 12 play, we'll have this a little bit more shored up. If teams go zone, you can use guys like Caleb Boone, Moncrief, to hit those short corner shots, to catch the ball at the elbow and kind of get the offense going. And when teams go man against you, you got to get the pick and roll game going with Cissé. The dude is a rim running freak. He's he can't He's really do <laughs> Yeah, he can't really do much else, but he doesn't need on offense, but he doesn't need to. No one can guard him running to the rim off the pick and roll. He'll be able to catch it above. He's too athletic. He's too strong and slam it on pretty much everybody. Yeah, he he's a freak. You know, you just alluded to Cade Cunningham's unbelievable night. Uh, last night, he became the youngest player in NBA history with at least 25 points, eight rebounds eight assists and five threes in a game. And he's followed by LeBron James, Trey young and Luka Doncic. So just fantastic company there. Uh, So for all the people that were talking about Cade being a bust of which there were many, believe it or not, Dustin, after, you know, like four games in the NBA, uh, you know, stick that in your pipe and smoke it. So, um, or Cade truthers like Sanders truthers. So, yeah, yeah. we've been here. I mean, we've been we've, here the whole time. We've been saying Cade Cunningham was going to be the number one draft pick since like at least this time last year, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Saying so, yeah, Hall of Famer. He's the goat. Um, okay, Dustin. Anything else on basketball? Big week ahead of them. Um, schedule is going to really start picking up here soon, so we're going to know a lot yeah, about this we- team. And like we've said, I know we say this every time, but this podcast is going to completely shift to a basketball podcast when football season's over. So we're trying not to spend too much time on these non-con games whenever 
Well, it helps that Oklahoma so. State's competing for a Big 12 title and, and a playoff spot here. So, exactly. Um, anyway, and we keep getting questions. And, about to and we've got a ton of listener questions, which, you know, Dustin, I, I love talking to you. This is my favorite part of the show because the listener gets to show their creativity and ask the questions that they want to hear us answer, which to me, it's like, why would five people ever want to hear you and I answer anything? Which <laughs> if you've been around us at a tailgate, you know, the ridiculous conversation. I mean, anyway, I am thankful for this. And I said it last week, but um, continue to send your questions in. Uh, Dustin has kind of taken the range because I can't remember it. My, my, I got too much going on in the middle of the day. So every uh, Tuesday when we record, we record it on Tuesdays at 730. We're sending out the link you know, hours in advance on Twitter. So you need to be sending in those questions so that way we have them in advance. And I've got five listener questions, uh, audio version. You've got some on Twitter. And Dustin, I, I love it. And so I think we jump right into it Yeah, uh, with, it. with this one uh, from our fearless leader, Philip Slavin. Hey guys, Philip Slavin here. Uh, Long time listener, first time caller. Uh, my question for you is this. Uh, who do you think should be next year's inductee into Oklahoma State's ring of honor? And uh, and why is it Leslie Leo? All right, Philip. Thanks for the question, <laughs> sir. Thanks, Philip. You know, I, <laughs> Leslie O'Neill's probably the obvious answer, right? And and it's interesting because they've talked about how a lot of this is overdue. So it makes you wonder what the holdup in general was about anything honoring former players, why, why it took 25 years to get Barry's statue. I, I don't understand. Um, but the next one to me, Leslie O'Neill is a great one. Dustin, I've, I've got an interesting thought here. I mean, do you throw, I mean, you've got Thurman, you've got Barry up there. That's a, that's a class of its own. So what's the next here, right? I mean, then you start getting into the first name that just pops in my head is a Justin Blackman to me a des bryant um i do love a leslie o'neill uh a kevin williams those four jump out at me as the next possible ones justin blackman i don't see happening but i you know my bold prediction would be next year they they hang a number one des bryant in the uh in the ring of honor that would be fantastic man that would be awesome i i think i agree with philip with leslie o'neill i He's got to be the most decorated Oklahoma yeah. State defensive player of all time. When you go and look at like awards that defensive players have won, which I did recently, whenever I was looking up Malcolm, Rod Malcolm Rodriguez, since he's on the uh, Buckus Award watch list, there's not many. And Leslie O'Neill won a lot of them. <laughs> so yeah. big eight defensive player of the year, all big eight honors for three consecutive years. Uh, it just, I don't know where he at, is that on the tackle list right now, but I know he finished his career rate, ranked fifth all time. I think that's where Malcolm is right now, but I think it's got to be probably the greatest Oklahoma State defensive player of all time. But I like the Des one. What do you think about the? What do you think about the? You know, we got to talk about it because we're feels like forty five podcast. What about the guys from that era? What do uh, they do with uh, them? Because uh, uh, Bob Fenimore, hello. Well, I heard, <laughs> I heard. I think Robert Allen was. Uh, he was hosting Gundy's radio show this week because Dave was uh, at the basketball game. Dave Punziker. So what do you do? Because these guys, you know, a lot of them have passed on. It's so long ago. It's, there's not really a huge connection anymore to the program that 
that you get with a barrier Thurman who can come back, have this huge ceremony. What do you, what do you do? Do you put them all together in one and do like all their numbers at once? Or I just, I don't really know not to take it in a completely different direction. I just, I was thought that was a great topic he brought up. Cause I wasn't really sure. I don't know either because you do that. And I mean, shoot, you're going back, you know, 70 years and and you could you come up with so many names and that's why like even like a you know i i said justin and des as a as a you know kind of a hot take that's why you can't just throw anyone who was really good up there it's got to be it's the ring of honor it is reserved for the best of the best you've only got so much room to work with up there um in terms of your question though dustin I think at some point you've got to honor them uh, in some form or fashion, but I don't know how you would go about honoring all of them. Because I mean, again, you've got, you got Finnamore, you've got Curlin to that. Both of them, you've got to honor those guys if you start there. So again, I, I would think maybe a, you know, a joint ceremony with both of them would be an option, but I, I truly don't know the best way to go about that. Yeah, it's it's tough. And then you've got guys like what you talked about, Dez and Blackman. You've got James Washington, Rashawn Woods, Hartley Dykes. Those three. Did they do they even do they even touch it? Do they, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I would think that. Uh, I mean, Thurman and Barry, it was like those are the obvious ones. They're Hall of Famers. I- Gundy's probably a no-brainer too, because a lot, yeah, oh, Gundy, because of the Gundy will be well. up there the the year after he's gone. So. But, you, I think you've got to, you've got to do Whedon, right? I mean, he's got all the, him and Rudolph have all the records, and uh, Whedon yeah. took them to the Big Twelve Championship. Man, do I, put, I don't know. Do I don't you know take where you the stop. best player, the best offensive player from those three skill positions, and put them in because you've got Barry and Thurman. Do you take Whedon and Gundy, and then do you take Dez and Blackman? I just don't know how they're going to do it. I love the stadium's pretty big. It is pretty big, but again, there's only so much room in that West end zone. I I'll be interested to see how they do it. I don't know. You, you and I can't solve it this evening, but uh, if it were me, I would think what Leslie O'Neill, Philip, you nailed it. I mean, Leslie O'Neill is the next one. There's no question in my mind, but my, you know, my strong desire would be to see a Des Bryant Jersey. He's been an advocate for Oklahoma state since he left. Um, and was screwed by the NCAA. And so I, he would be one that goes up pretty quickly in my mind. Does also Pogai make it? Oh, well, if we're talking about first half performances, that one against Texas in 2005 <laughs> gets a ring of honor uh, celebration in my mind. All right. But th- thanks, Philip. Appreciate yeah, the question. Appreciate it, Philip. Here's, here's another one from, from Billy. Hey, fellas. Quick question. If I would have told you after the Missouri State game that Oklahoma State is going to go into the TCU game with two starting offensive linemen out and we're going to run for almost 500 yards and eight touchdowns, which side of my face would you have punched me on? Okay. <laughs> Dustin, let's say it at the to- same time. One, two, three. Straight Left. in the face. <laughs> the left side. Straight uh, in the face. Because I would have never believed you. Yeah, I wouldn't have either. I'm not going to – I know you and I say – we like to joke, you know, obviously we love Spencer Sanders and stuff like that, but 
I, I definitely wasn't super confident after a couple of those early season games. I wasn't super down because I'm always optimistic, which is why you probably shouldn't listen to any of my takes. But <laughs> I definitely – I would have been in the same boat. I would have been – someone would have had to punch me as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's, it's obvious that this season – has really been a slow boil into what is becoming a potentially a, a playoff run. If, I mean, there was a time I thought we were going to lose to Missouri state and that the sky was falling. And now it's like, I think we could beat OU twice. Like that's, that's where we're at, which is outrageous uh, to me. You psycho. Yeah. Billy, thank you for the question, brother. Uh, here's another one from Trevor. Hey guys, thanks for doing the pod. I think you do a great You're job. You're welcome. I miss tape doesn't lie, but you know, y'all do a pretty good technical analysis. <laughs> there are Thank you. two things. One, I think it's interesting. Gundy stated before the conference scheduled that we would be in fourth quarter games. It seems like we haven't been in that many fourth quarter games since we've gotten healthy. Two, it feels like we're not very overconfident as opposed to like 2013 and 2016, where we thought the team was great and we ended up losing a few games. Now it just seems like we're confident, but not overconfident. And that may come with a good defense and a bad offense or an offense that's slowly coming on. So just your comments on that. Well, my, my first thought, Trevor, is I, I'm sorry that you miss uh, Tape Doesn't Lie, but you get these two hunks, better looking podcast, maybe not as smart, but definitely better looking. So yeah, that's definitely, what I got. Yeah, definitely cooler and better looking than Mitch and Adam. Probably yeah. not as smart. Not as smart, funnier, maybe funnier. I I would, I would certainly put us up against them. Maybe not stronger. They're both way bigger than us. More longevity. Some would say, I I don't know. I just, Trevor, that's just where we go for with your question there. Um, But you know, your question was there's, there's not many close fourth quarter games. Um, It doesn't seem like there's a lack of confidence. I I agree with you. Uh, they're, they've gotten healthy. We kind of talked about it earlier in this podcast, Dustin, how they've gotten healthy at wide receiver, and all of a sudden the offense clicks. It's almost like Mike Gundy knows what he's talking about. <laughs> well, Gundy keeps mentioning it in the pressers and on his radio show about how he gets a little nervous because this team is having so much fun at practice, but he's <laughs> he's realized that's just how these guys operate. I think he's mainly more talking about the defense – that he thought it was, it seemed like he thought it was a lack of focus, but it's really just, these guys are just, the players are confident. They know what they're supposed to do. They listen to their coaches. They're really, we talked about it earlier. They're really high IQ, especially on the defense. And I think they're just confident in what they can do. And it doesn't need to be something they're just boasting out to the public, boasting on social media. And then with the offensive side of the ball, there were so many injuries playing so many young wide receivers, so much mixing around on the offensive line early. I don't think, I don't think Gundy was very confident. I think he was actually surprised that they were able to score enough and let the defense do what they do to win games. So I do think it's a great point. And I, I think I, I kind of see what he's getting at, but I think this team just, it's more of like a kind of not as boastful confidence that they have. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think they go about their business. And the one thing I haven't said today is they just play such obvious team defense. You know, there's a lot of freaks running around there, Malcolm Rodriguez, but they they just 
all seem to flow together as one and uh, the, the confidence is and, high. So, and they're just, they're smart all around. I just, I, I, when you said that, it made me go look one penalty <laughs> from the TCU game. And it was that roughing the kicker. So really no penalties. Cause yeah. Zero. That, yeah. Absolutely zero. So that. Yeah, just smart, sound football team. I think it's just confidence through that. Trevor, thanks for the question, man. Uh, two more uh, audio questions from a couple of frequent listeners. And I got to take a second because this made me laugh. This one's from, from Big Lou. We've heard from Big Lou several times. The title thanks, of this Big one Lou. is in all caps, hope is too high with four exclamation points. So let's hear <laughs> what this one's all about. Hey guys, Big Lou here. Listen, you didn't take this uh, this talking point on the last show, but we're gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna forgive you if you put it on this show, okay? Now, listen, fate is on our side this year, guys. Listen, we're getting everybody at the absolute perfect time. Ku, we didn't we didn't overlook them because they just almost beat OU, right? The same thing with West Virginia. They all they beat Iowa State. We're like, oh, we better not overlook, better not overlook these guys. Then TCU beats Baylor. Oh, we better not overlook these guys. That Tech kicks a robot leg, friggin' huge kick. And uh, now we better not overlook these uh, Tech. Uh, this is this this year is fate. Please talk me down because my hope is is like uh, at that peak level for oh you to just slap it down. So just just talk me talk me down. Give me some give me some help here. And uh, thank you guys. Appreciate you, Lou. I think that's exactly how I feel. So I can't talk you down. I, I, I'm doing it to myself. <laughs> I mean, Kay just said it earlier, talking about us beating OU twice. We, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident. I'm not going to say it out loud, though. Last year, out loud. Uh, after I went to bed at 3 a.m., after getting absolutely boat raced by Oklahoma, once again, I said I'd never do this to myself again. And like 11 and a half months later, here we are where Oklahoma State, I mean, it's, it's staring them right in the face. Like, Lou, I can't talk you off the ledge because the, what you see on film, what you see is, is real. Like, this team matches up not only really well with Texas Tech. Again, you got to win this game this weekend. Get your spot in the Big 12 title game before you do anything else. Before Anything else. But you get to Oklahoma, you match up well with them for the record just so we're clear and and i kind of alluded to this at the beginning and we could kind of talk about it here dustin um beat texas tech this weekend take care of business where you should and what oklahoma doesn't do well is what oklahoma state can take a lot of advantage of oklahoma doesn't appear to be able to run the ball effectively whenever they want to like they've been able to in the past well that's not going to work out against a defense like oklahoma state's and you saw Caleb Williams get very confused in against Baylor uh, with what they were doing defensively. You know, he had open receivers, but because of what they were doing on the back end, he doesn't get rid of the ball and takes a sack or, or turns the ball over. And so, uh, Lou, you're not going to get me talking off, talking you off the ledge and, and Dustin, I don't know if, if, if you'll get it from him either. No, I'm spearing you two both off the ledge. <laughs> And we're all going off. Together. And I was going to say, I'm grabbing the spear, pulling you, and we're all going. And and anybody listening to this podcast, I mean, you know, I've gotten several texts that we're, we're drinking the Kool-Aid. and But every week we do this, and what happens? Oklahoma State boat races somebody. 
So, Kate, I'm I've got an IV of the Kool Aid hooked up to my arm. <laughs> I see that actually. I see that. No, but but in all seriousness, Kate and I will break down the game next week, as we do every week. And I think my once we get close to that game, I think my tune is going to change. But I yeah, we can't talk you down, Lou. Right no, now. no. Let's go beat Tech, and then we can talk, Lou. I mean, and and just last note on that. Next week's podcast, you take care of business this week, will be an all-timer. I mean, I, I think we spend – we need all the listeners to come through with listener questions. We need like 15 of them. I think we preview <laughs> Bedlam. We talk a little bit about tech, and then we go straight into a venting slash therapy session on what in the world is coming up the next weekend. I, I think that's what we, we do. We might have to see if we can get our guy Eddie Eddie Rattles I was already a, thinking uh, that to send us a voicemail in. Yeah, let's might do have it. to censor it, but yeah, yeah, no kidding. All right, last one here, frequent caller, my buddy Jake. Here we go. Looking at the college football playoff rankings tonight, why the hell do we continue to play games and get our hopes up if head-to-head does not matter? If a two-loss Alabama gets in above us or if Michigan gets in above Michigan State, who got beat by Michigan State, then why do we even play this game? It's just a broken system, and I'm tired of it. Again, anyways, go Pokes. (laughs) Hey, go Pokes, Jake. Uh, Man, we actually talked a lot about this already, huh? I mean, Dustin, any any thoughts on that one? I can can go all day, but... No, we we literally talked about that exact scenario, so Jake, we we agree with you. It's if that happens, I've got – I mean, Cade's not riding with me, so I have extra spots in my car. I just yeah. got to move the car seat. So, <laughs> well, uh, the, the reason I'm – I mean, I got to move the car seat too, and that's too much work, so I'm just going to get a flight, okay? <laughs> uh, so, no, that's that's the way I see it. Jake, I, if if that happens, you know my opinion. I've already said it. I'm, I'm headed straight to Arlington or wherever uh, I can find that committee and just give them an earful because, I mean, it, it would be an abomination. But truthfully, like – does an even does an eight team or twelve team playoff fix any of this, or does it just get people in the door? I mean, I, I don't know how much it fixes because you know this year you look at who's at eight, nine, ten, uh, eleven. I mean, that's you you would theoretically be getting a Baylor and probably an Oklahoma, Wake Forest. Like, man, I think at some point you're starting to water it down. Like, four teams is not enough because it allows for too much bias from the committee to be able to say hey well let's throw in a two loss alabama in because they look good but they really don't um or let's throw an ohio state in because they look good but man they really don't um so i don't know it's going to take a total overhaul from the system and with all this realignment going on right now i don't i don't know when that happens so yeah we'll see i'd maybe like to just see i don't i know we can't go back after we go to eight or something like that but it, it does interest me, but I, I definitely see kind of the points that you just made there. But I did want to say thanks to Jake for always sending questions. They're always great. They always make me laugh. And thank you to everybody. Lou, always sending questions in. We love these questions so much. So like Kate I said, love it. Please, I love it. Please keep sending them in. And we are absolutely blown away that you guys send more than one or more it's than amazing. zero in each week. So thank you so much. We really appreciate it. It's amazing. Uh, you know, Dustin, before we go, do we, we have a couple Twitter questions? Is yeah, that right? Me, yeah, we can hit the, I think we've got three, 
three or four. By the way, while Dustin's getting all this pulled up, definitely be sure to follow us at feels like 45 pot. I mean, Dustin working his absolute tail off. He's got a newborn child and he's posting screen grabs like nobody's freaking business out there. So, I mean, you don't even really need to get a flow basketball subscription because we got you, baby. We got you. We got the highlights. So follow the Twitter account. It feels like 45 pod and send us in questions like Dustin's about to read. Yeah, shout out to my guy Camp too for letting me use his login on that. I'm <laughs> too poor to buy one, but um, so Tyler Wheat at Tyler Wheat seven. He's got a he's got a joke for us, and then a uh, a question at the end. Every state is known for some absolute train wreck that you simply can't look away due to the entertainment. Oklahoma's is Tiger King. Texas has University of Texas football. Agree. Oh. <laughs> I hadn't seen that one. Wow, that one got I love, me. I love that, Tyler. But his actual question there is also, are we seeing Spencer Sanders peak? He's been playing really maturely lately. And Tyler, look, we'll probably won't go into it all again, but we, but we've hit on it earlier. We hit on every podcast. The way Spencer has been playing, I I would say pretty much since he got his receiving core back. I know people like to key on these last three or four games. But since he got the receivers healthy, probably what, like four games into the season, I think he's been playing basically since Boise State. I think he's been playing really well with a couple of hiccups here and there. But the maturity, the able to, the, the ability to go through his progressions, the elusiveness in the pocket. And I don't just mean being able to scramble, I mean being able to avoid the pass rush. I think he knows now some of the weak points of the offensive line in the pass protection game. He's aware of it. He's able to move, keep his eyes downfield, and still deliver a great football. And his footwork looks a lot better. That's one of his big knocks that's always been on him is just how he gets a little kind of crazy feet. I think it's looked a lot better. Still some room for improvement. But overall, I think I, I think, I think he could still have a little bit more to go before a peak. But even if this is his peak, this is great football. It absolutely is. You know, the way I look at this, I I hear the word peak and I think, okay, this is as good as it gets. I think this is a plateau. I don't, I don't think this is a turning back point from Spencer. I don't think he digresses from here. He may have a rough game. It's going to happen. But I think if you look at this from just an average perspective, like where we go from here, I mean, shoot, he may be around two more years. Uh, I, look at this more of a plateau and then he continues to rise from here uh, because it seems like he's getting super comfortable with, with it. Yeah, I completely agree. I think so. I think great question there, Tyler. I think that, I think he's still got a little room to go. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Um, Brian Metcalf at Brian J Metcalf. Brian, thanks. Always send us in questions. And I think Tyler sent us in a few too. So really appreciate that. Tyler says, um, who, what advanced analytics Twitter people do you follow? He says he has a few, but didn't know if there are any more. And then he, he also wants you to compare the TCU game to a beverage like we did last week. Oh, well, I, so, my, my, yeah, go ahead, Dustin. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say some of my, and sorry to cut you off there. The, some of the people that I follow, I know there's a guy for TCU. I think his name's Parker at stats of war. Oh, uh, it was my these, first, first and only. He does these advanced analytics head-to-head matchups every week for all the games going on in college football. Uh, there's always like Bill Connolly does his SMP plus stuff. If you follow the PFF, the Pro Football Focus College Football account, they're 
their full analytics are behind a paywall, but they actually tweet out a lot of like the, the top five in certain categories, like the top five defensive lines, the top five wide receivers at contested catches, stuff like that. So they're a good follow to get to their other stuff. You have to pay, but they do put out some free stuff on Twitter. Um, there's a website called BCF toys. They do the FEI ratings, the points per drive yards per play, the game splits, game projections, different charts. It's a pretty cool website. Um, I think that's really it. I, since I have that, since we have that PFF subscription, I use them for a lot of stuff, even though a lot of it's computer generated, not always super accurate grades, but they do a lot of cool stuff on there. And then BCF toys and stats of war are probably my go-tos. Yeah. Stats of war has, has honestly taught me a lot. I've never been one into the advanced analytics. I've, I've always thought I can kind of break down film Dustin. That's why you're here. I mean, you're the, you're that guy for (laughs) us, but uh, that, that account has taught me a lot um, and is, is really kind of dead on at times. So stats of war shout out. We need to get him on the pod uh, here soon and and talk a little bit. Yeah, I agree. Uh, What's your, what's your beverage you're going to compare TCU? Oh yeah. Great question. You did. What did you do last time? Evan Williams. I I did Evan Williams bottled and bond with the white label. Uh, This one is going to be to me. I'm going to go with an old fashioned because it felt like an old fashioned beatdown. It felt like (laughs) a classic Boone picking stadium night, a little bit of a chill in the air and just an absolute whooping. So I would say it was an old fashioned. I love that. I think it's yeah. perfect. I'm, I'm going to stick with uh, my Coors Light, Bud Light, Miller Light. Okay, but, got it. Uh, <laughs> I love that. I, I can't that. believe you're just like any light beer, whatever. It's all the same. It is not. It is it's not from, the same. It's my dad's fault. That's well, what he does, so. it's fine. Shout you out just... to, hey, shout out to Danny Ragusa. <laughs> yeah, um, big I shout know out. He listens. So uh, Hayden at Hayden M underscore OKST, OK State. He said, what offensive line slash run game schemes were the reason OK State ran all over TCU? We talked about it, Hayden. It's really, it's really those, the, the variations they do with the zone running scheme. They've gotten so good at it and have run it so many times that defenses know they're going to do it. And the offensive line blocks it so well. And Jalen Warren, who I feel like sometimes we don't talk about enough on this podcast, probably my fault. He's so good. His vision is so good. His cut, his ability to cut back on a dime, find the holes or follow the line to the sideline. It's just, it's just such, it's just a recipe for success. And they've just blocked it so well all season when you're running zone over and over and over again, even if you're switching around the formation, we talked about the, the Blaine green being in there. We talked about the split zone. We talked about releasing the right tackle up to the second level, right off the snap. It's still zone. The defense knows it's coming, and Oklahoma State's just blocking it and running it to perfection right now. He's just got so much bounce to him, Jalen Warren does, to where that zone blocking scheme makes a ton of sense for him. We've seen it time and time again. We we talked about it early on and often in the pod that uh, that's why, I mean, they work so well together. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what they're able to do without him. Uh, because he's he's able to you know do those jump cuts to get to that first second third level of the defense really without he could hop honestly by just like it's kind of what he does he just kind of hops and hops and hops and then hits the hole and goes um and uh I, again i think it's it, they've done a fantastic job scheming that up so i'll be interested to see how it goes against some defenses in texas tech and and oklahoma yeah 
And the Dustin, last did, one. Yeah, there you go. Oh, sorry. Last oh, one here yeah. at Dave Mosley at, uh, at Dave Mosley, 10 Dave Mosley. He says, can it, can any of y'all, he actually addressed this at a few other people as well, but he put feels like 45 pot in there. Can any, can any of y'all tell us fans who the super seniors are that will be returning pending? They don't go to the NFL next year. Cade and I actually were talking about this one off air. It's a little tricky you kind of have to go by how many years they've played and then take out the COVID year once they get to the four years of eligibility. So I can go, I'll go back through that. And maybe I'll do something like that on Twitter sometime soon, or maybe in the off season, I can go back through that. But I know there, I know guys like Des Jackson, Brock Martin, I think Israel Antwine, I think Irby, I think those guys are coming back that are super seniors, not sure on guys like Bernard Converse, McAllister. And I mean, Guys like Braden Johnson and LD Brown could technically get a medical red shirt. I don't see that happening, but I'll kind of go through and see who even can and who can come back. I don't believe Jalen Warren can. I don't believe Tay Martin can. And then I think Malcolm Rodriguez is gone. Those are some, those are some that I think off the top of my head. But other than that, I don't, I don't have a full list. Yeah. If I miss anybody, Cade, let me know. No, no, I, I don't know it as well. You know, I kind of talked about it before, like COVID kind of messed some things up. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how that impacts, especially I think the scholarship numbers are closer to working themselves out than they were last year coming actually off of the COVID year. But uh, no, I think you nailed it. And, um, you know, if there are any more, we'll, we'll throw it out there on Twitter. We'll continue to update. The roster situation is very interesting because, you know, you would love to see Jalen Warren for another year, but seems like he may go get a bag. So, you know what? You know what? Let's get our guy at Fuller Fun Boy for Alex <laughs> Fuller to do this for us. Yeah, he he asked us for so much. You know what? Let's yeah, let's have Fuller point. do this one for us. It's he can go through point. and do that. We have his we have his shirts linked on our Twitter. His feels like forty five brand. He he did let us use the name, but I mean, at some point, we're just gonna say we made that up. Yeah, but no affiliation with it too. <laughs> no affiliation with the feels like forty five brand, but we're buddies, so it's, yeah. Hey, so Fuller, you you do that for us, and then we'll talk about it. Yeah, podcast. thanks, dude. <laughs> Dustin, before we go, I um, I have to play this for you. Did you see the press conference with Steve Sarkeesian and this reporter? Did oh, you yes. did you see this? I did because see I'm this. gonna play the it question. for you and for the listeners. Um, this is a reporter addressing Coach Steve Sarkeesian after the loss at Texas, which boy, we took it really easy on Texas in, in this episode. But I have to play this for you because it's absolute gold and it's it's perfect eye-rolling material. So here we go. Good morning to you, Coach Coach, a couple years ago, one of my good friends and I were faced with a massive problem we couldn't solve. And in his wisdom, he said, you know, at this point, we need to stop and ask ourselves, what would an extraordinary person do in this situation? This resonated with me the whole weekend. And I realized that of all the coaches who could be standing at that podium right now in those shoes, you are that extraordinary person. And you have a team of what I call coaching juggernauts. This is not only my opinion, this is a fact. I don't think anyone would dispute this. So my question is, we write, you know, the Sarkeesian era story. We're not even done with the first chapter yet. Can you unfold some of the onion of what are you working on? How are you solving this problem? I realize that you might not even know, but, you know, I want to steal from Julian Edelman. It's going to be one hell of a story. Yeah, I think, I think first of all, 
he he says unfold the onion he says unfold the onion after all of that what i was that like his brother or his dad or something i i mean i've never heard anything like that and you hear somebody's coughing in the background not me that is the funniest thing i've heard in a long time and it perfectly encapsulates what's going on at texas because that reporter straight up told sarkeesian he's got a a team of coaching juggernauts on his hands that's what he said (laughs) and then i don't even really understand the question there was no question he (laughs) said tell us your story and then said unfold the onion moron you don't unfold an onion you peel an onion was that a planted i i when i listened to that it was so cringy you couldn't do it i can see it on your face too you're not a big cringe guy i about fell out of my chair because it's just like everything that I think about Texas football is what just happened right there in enabling media. He, and the, the reporter started it with good Monday. Who says that? Who says good Monday? Well, I do now. Well, yeah. Going forward. We're, we're opening up next week's podcast with good Tuesday night. All right, Dustin, we've held these people for way too long, but this has been fun. I mean, we're, we're approaching a, a put up or shut up point in the season. And I love doing this podcast to the listeners, a huge thank you for continuing to send in your questions. Um, if you're not already following us on Twitter, you got to at feels like 45 pod. We're already coming up on 700 followers. I want to throw down a challenge. I, I want to get to a thousand before bedlam. I think it can happen. It should happen. Um, so let's see what we can do there. Uh, Dustin, any final word before we go? Oh, just thanks so much for all the questions. Thanks, Cade, for hopping on. As always, love doing it. Apologies for the length of this one if it's too long for anybody. And apologies, I, I didn't know I was going to have to read out loud on the podcast before we started doing it. I don't think I'm the best reader. So sorry about you that. You did great. You did great. Yeah. You get a gold star, sir. All right. <laughs> well, this has been the Feels Like 45 podcast with Cade Webb, Dustin Ragusa. Follow him at Dust Ragu. Follow me at Cade Webb. And more importantly, follow the podcast at Feels Like 45 Pod. Leave us a five-star review. Dustin, I got an email today. We were number 25 on the Apple Podcast Sports Podcast chart this last week. Let's get to number one, baby. Let's go. All right. Beat Texas Tech. Go, folks. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week.